Big thanks to Craig Knight for putting these podcasts together. He's doing a great job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put that at the very beginning so people know. <laughs> <laughs> we love Craig. Games Podcast, Episode 4, A New Opal. I'm Ryan Lockett, and I'm joined here uh, by Craig Knight and Brenna Asplund, and Mallory Lockett is also here with us today. Woo-hoo. Our first special guest! <laughs> oh no. Yeah, <laughs> and we're recording live from the Golden Dragon restaurant. Oh yeah. Did you guys know that? Yeah, I remember that's what this place was uh, called at a time. What's it called now? Um, now we call it the Villa. The Villa? Yeah, but it's pretty cool, so if... if I guess nobody's seen it, but Red Raven headquarters. We are upstairs in the attic of the Golden Dragon restaurant, or what used to be the Golden Dragon. When I was yep. in high school, I guess. Yeah. Drove by this place like every day. Yeah. Never. Never went, went inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, how are you guys doing? How was your weekend? Oh, mine was great. I tried. I tried uh, Uncharted Four for the first time. Oh, uh, nice! Oh, that's fun. right. Oh, total derp! I cannot play video games, <laughs> but it was really fun. So. So, what was the difficulty level that you played at? <laughs> well, I wanted to start on the easiest level, but Ryan said, "No, you don't want to do that. Let's bump you up." And then he quickly shifted it back down to beginner. I'm like, no, saw. no, you've got you got to be at the the light level or whatever. Yeah. And then she plays for like five minutes. I'm like, uh, can I see that for a second? And I <laughs> no, it yeah, turns no. it down to the lowest. No judgment here. I play all games on like mega easy narrative mode, like as possible, <laughs> like as easy as you can get. Because usually I just don't care. <laughs> I don't care enough to get good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Our week on this weekend was fun on friday night we went hiking and we drove up the canyon and you know down here it's been like 80 90 degrees and we drove all the way up to sort of the the ski resort area and started hiking and ended up hiking through the snow and oh, yeah awesome. it was crazy it was 60 degrees wow yeah. but it felt great <laughs> oh, yeah that would awesome. be so nice yeah throwing snowballs and like slipping around <laughs> yeah one of our friends she wore sandals Tevas though, oh, which yeah. are hiking sandals. Technically, I really think they're good for the outdoors. Yeah, they're great for the outdoors. I don't yeah. know for for trudging through snow, but yeah, not yeah. The snow. But yeah. well, this last weekend I was on. So I'm a dad, and I sometimes call parenting babysitting, and some people frown upon that, but <laughs> I consider this weekend full on babysitting mode because my wife she went down to California to go to Universal Studios and to this. Uh, Little Mermaid uh, musical where they had John Stamos and a bunch of like famous actors like singing like Little Mermaid songs and acting it out. She yeah. said it was pretty cool. I don't know. It's Ooh. yeah, it's whatever. Nice. But I was on full on dad mode, parenting, babysitting time with my little boy Noah, 
and we got some crazy adventures, a lot of water fights. And Excellent. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did this whole So weekend. it sounds like Dad is also a good babysitter. Because <laughs> babysitters that have water <laughs> fights are the fun ones. <laughs> so, so I'm not really that great at babysitting because one time I was babysitting <laughs> my son Noah, and we have a treadmill in our, our basement, and my son we had we turned Wait. it on. I, I, I'm remembering a certain accident yeah. you had as a kid yeah. with a treadmill. Treadmills in the night family don't really run well. <laughs> Literally. He broke uh, his arm. Yeah, I broke so <laughs> back in the day I was uh we we're playing in the basement and they had the treadmill and it's like upright and there's a pin that locks the treadmill so it doesn't fall down. And my older brother yeah. being curious, he removed the pin and I was underneath the treadmill and I was holding oh. a uh, sand dial. And the treadmill fell on my arm and basically uh, fractured and had a compound fracture or something, something like that. Oh, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. But with my son, Noah, this is when he was like three or two, we were playing with the treadmill again. We had it turned on. It was like at a low setting. I was thinking, okay, it'll be at a low setting. It won't hurt. I'm like, we'll just have like his cars run through it. And he was playing at, at the bottom and he was hitting his hands at the bottom while the, the tread is like going underneath. And his hand gets caught. And goes like into the tread underneath the bottom of the treadmill, and he didn't notice it. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, your hands are underneath there!" And he starts crying. He had like this giant rug burn on his hand. Ouch! And that was like the first time I think where it's just me and Noah, like when he was like a little toddler. So never again. When I was when I was a little girl, I was probably like six or seven or something. I was wearing a swimsuit and playing on our treadmill. <laughs> and oh. I got, I somehow I tripped and fell down it and got stuck between the wall and the tread part of the treadmill that just kept going oh. completely, completely tore up my back, which was bare because I was wearing a swimsuit. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we got two people here with bad treadmills. Yeah. Treadmills plus kids, not a good combination. Wow. And I kind of let my kids play on it all the time. So. <laughs> but we're paranoid. That makes me feel better that we're so paranoid. Because we'll say, Zoe, get your hand out of there. Stay yeah. just on the top. And I think I'm maybe just a helicopter parent. But hearing your stories, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. just fine. Yeah, yeah. doing great. Treadmills. Yeah. Moral of the story, they're dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So don't do any, like, exercising on treadmills. Just, just, just play games. Yeah, just play games. Just hang your clothes on them. They're better as a Yeah. Yeah, as long line. as you never turn them on. They're less dangerous. They are a good clothesline. That's true. <laughs> so what games are you guys playing lately? I finally got around to playing uh, Samorost 3, which is this really artsy point-and-click adventure game by one of my favorite indie game design studios amanita designs it's been really fun and interesting because like they're like an eastern european company i think the czech republic but i'm not entirely positive oh yeah i think that's right but yeah but what they've done is they've made this whole game with no text at all whatsoever like even the uh, tutorials and explanations are purely visual so like they can release it wherever in the world without doing any translation yeah, that's we were cool. talking about that earlier, and yeah. and that's it's it's interesting because it's fairly common in board games, especially Euro games. Yeah, yeah. To do that, so it's really easy. Like above and below, for example, that was one thing I did to make sure that uh, it was easy to localize. I mean, it's hard because there's a huge book of stories you have to translate. <laughs> but other than that, all the components, you know, they have no text on them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's the same company that did um, the one I've played is. Uh, Machinarium. Is that, is yeah. that what's called? Mm-hmm. Machinarium? Yeah. yeah. That one's so. one of my favorites of theirs. 
Yeah. I love the robot theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the I also like the uh, in that game specifically. I like the sort of the sketched uh, watercolor look. Yeah, style. yeah. I always like games that that do that. That sort of branch off from the standard video game look mm-hmm. and try yeah. to do something mm-hmm. different. Amanita Designs games always have really interesting and unique like art and visuals, and also their soundtracks are always amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. Lots of percussion, weird yep. percussion in mm-hmm. there. It's fun. So I've been, uh, I'm always going to be stuck in the past when it comes to doing what I do. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Star Fox on the Super Nintendo. Oh, nice. man. That game is so hard. Cause, it is. Because like in 64 and the newer ones, you have like a little cursor wherever you're uh, shooting at. But that one is just straight up super like frame like <laughs> shuddering. It's, it's oh, yeah. fun though. But the music's amazing in that game too. Yeah, I'm a diehard Star Fox fan. But I have to admit, I don't think I've ever completed a game on the most difficult path. Yeah. It's, like, so ridiculous. It's so hard, yeah. Yeah. I, I still have that, too. Great game. Frame rate, though. Yeah. <laughs> it slows so down really bad when there are, like, more than five enemies on the oh, screen. Oh, yeah. It, it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Pretty cool, though. Oh, well, I'm currently learning and teaching how to play street fighter with our toddlers <laughs> oh yes yeah that sounds like a party and my five-year-old our five-year-old will not stop choosing blanca because he loves the electrocute <laughs> attack but then he gets so mad when his four-year-old sister keeps beating him yeah. <laughs> she'll like, choose uh... um Oh, Vega. Vega. Right? She'll choose Vega all the oh time. My gosh. But she can yeah. beat him with anything. I mean, yeah. she's really good, and it makes him so mad that he just can't let go. So he'll sit there and say, Stop, okay, stop attacking me, okay? And then I'm going to do my electrocute, and then you touch me. And... Now you can attack me. Now, now you can attack me. Yeah. <laughs> Playing games with toddlers, a whole new experience. Yeah, they love oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's the best. So recently so we haven't played this in a couple weeks but i wanted to bring it up since we've all played it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it's marco polo uh okay hang on you're gonna have to edit this because i forget what the english name is is it like the great adventures or something yeah what is that the grand voyage of marco polo it's actually the voyages of marco polo yeah that's a so it's a board game that we played here actually at red raven and Mellor has also played I've played it maybe five or six times now. And, uh, yeah, interesting game. Like, what, what did you guys think of it when we played? Yeah, I thought I thought it was fun. Uh, I think I concentrated on the wrong aspects of it to, like, actually win it. Wait, does it first I remember, who, who won that game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something tells me your memory. Craig's fine. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's going to lead me into um, some of my thoughts about the game. Because I like it. I, th- I think it has you know some interesting things going on, and it's uh, not too difficult to learn. Yeah. And it's not super long, so you can get into it. Um, but I'm a little disappointed with uh, the, the theming of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, Craig won, and, and Craig focused on, like, you were doing just, uh, like, the contracts, yeah. right? And I, th- I feel like the contracts are, like, the most boring part of the game. Right. The traveling, which is more the thematic part of the game, mm-hmm. it seems like if you focus on that too much and you neglect the contracts, like, you, you'll just fall way behind. Yeah, I focused really heavily on the traveling, and I, like, got a really strong lead right at the beginning and then fell behind yeah. pretty quickly. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure somebody will come up and disagree with me or... 
No, I agree with you. Like the the contracts that I kept getting were ones where like you you finish the contract, you get a new one, and that probably made the game a little more easier in my favor. But no, I I agree because the game is about like exploring your uh, your explorer Marco Polo whatever. And there really isn't that many points or incentive to actually get, like, to go from one place to another place and, like, establish a house. Except for, like, don't they have it where if you put all ten of your uh, little buildings into a little land plot, you can actually get ten victory points? Yeah, but even then, that's not that much compared to, like, right. when you can get contracts that are worth seven or eight fairly regularly. Yeah. Ten isn't that significant of a victory point number. It yeah. felt like that should have been a little more, like, boosted up, unless they had play tests and were just like, this part's overpowered if they know how to do this <laughs> one thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that there... I think that there are some incentives to traveling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a lot of cool bonuses when you move around, but if you neglect those contracts, yeah, I think it's it's a losing strategy. So, yeah, interesting. So the designers on this are, um, let's see, Danielle uh, Tassini and Simone Luciani. Sorry if I don't quite get those names right. And, you know, I, I think good job, you know, interesting game. Good artwork. I really yeah. like the design in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It was a very visually pleasant experience. It, it felt really nice. So Yeah, Dennis Lohausen is the illustrator. I like the style. All right, awesome. Let's uh, move on to our next section. Near and far development. We can have a little like little song jingle here to go here. We're just gonna be like, we're just going to it. <laughs> we need to because Cuban. we have it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, nope. Someone else has to sing it this time. <laughs> Not until royalties are met, right? Yeah. 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 I guess that's true. We'll come up with something. So, what have we been doing on Near and Far lately? Well, I've been working on putting together the rule book and then also the graphic design for the card decks. Yeah, we usually we only use Photoshop when putting cards together, but I figured it, it might be better to use InDesign because you can open one file and edit all the cards. And you don't have to open individual files, which can be very labor intensive. So we're going to try that out and hope that it works. Yep. And uh, I've been finishing maps. Last week we talked about how I was redoing all the maps, and I'm up to eight maps already. Ooh. I went like crazy. I did like a map a day, and we're just moving along there. Yeah, it's really good progress. And yeah. I've been working on telling Ryan he has to change everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've really been looking a lot at the artwork and the maps, and I love the style that's developing. I think it's it's perfect because it really showcases Ryan's imagination as well as his artistic talent. So we just love that. Everybody that plays Red Raven games wants to see more of Ryan's imagination. So we've found a good style that lets that really show through. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, and, and you know, when we redid the maps, we decided that we had to redo some of the other components to, to match them better. So we've messed around with the, there's a, there's a board that's the town board where you go and visit different buildings in the town. We're kind of messing around with the graphic design there and also with the cards just to make the whole game look more uh, cohesive, which is something I am always striving for in, in various games. Like over time, I've learned that the more cohesive the, the components look, the better the game looks overall. Like I want, when somebody walks by, I want them to see that game on the table. I want them to say, oh my gosh, this looks beautiful. You know, what, what, tell me more about this game. So I'm always thinking about that when working on the, the game. So actually that, that leads me to ask a question. Where did the idea of near and far come from? 
Well, we were playing another prototype. This was under dispute last week, right? And I well, had a discussion. Well, I, I had forgotten and, some of the details. <laughs> some of the details, yeah. So we were playing another prototype that was almost done, but Ryan just couldn't commit to kickstarting it. So I said, well, what if we took this and turned it into a storytelling game? And that idea simmered and eventually near and far was born. Yeah. So Ryan really the idea it a little different. Well, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, no, so, so seriously, the seed of the idea comes from Mallory. So you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> have a giant Mallory walk thank down you. the cover. <laughs> and Ryan will just be like really small. Flying <laughs> yeah. The earlier game, I don't want to go too much into it, but it was a train game. It was like a, a small train game. And, you know, we dumped a lot of that game when we moved to near and far, but a couple mechanics made the transition. Mm. So. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's move on to section four, the questions section. We got a couple new ones. I asked on Twitter. Thank you for everyone who submitted questions. I'm sorry, we actually probably won't be able to make it through all of them, but I have a couple here. Yeah, I got a ton of questions. Got a couple here we'll go through, and let's just start up with that one. Okay. Tabletop Together asks, I would like to know what part of creating a game you enjoy the most. And when will we see Legacy of the Void, second edition? <laughs> <laughs> Legacy of the Void. Wow, that sounds like a huge amount of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, it would be pretty cool. I can imagine putting the stickers on the board. You explore a new planet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the, the part I like the most actually is the probably the initial idea phase. So... I love coming up with new ideas for games and you know like I mentioned last week we don't publish all the ideas I come up with but it's really it's just so much fun to like brainstorm new ideas come up with new mechanics and and mesh them together and throw something together to see how it works and then we'll play some you know the prototype we made super quickly and it's just not that good but uh, yeah idea phase is super fun. All right. Then uh, Benny Sperling asks, how did you get so dang awesome at art? What sort of tools do you use when creating art? Well, thank you, uh, Benny. Well, I'll interject a little bit about how he became so awesome at art, although it doesn't answer how he's married. (laughs) When we were dating, I would sit on a chair next to him while he drew. And that's what we would do together. Or we would watch a movie and he would draw while I watched the movie. And (laughs) when we would go to church, when we would drive in the car, when we would have any sort of family get together, he always had a paper and a pencil. So Ryan never stops drawing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the answer. I'll say, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I actually don't think I'm super gifted naturally at art. Like, it has always been something I've had to work really hard at. And I think the, the, the answer is I've always been super interested in it. So yeah, I, I mean, I took a sketch pad everywhere with me for years and years and just over tons of hours, I feel like I've just slowly gotten better. And that's, you know, that's a good message. Like that means that if you are really interested in doing something, getting better at something, you, you can get better, you know, if you just, if you put the time in, so I don't know. I, I grew up with your eye, and you've always been really good. So <laughs> I tried, and it just didn't pan out for me. And was like, you just keep doing your best. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. No, but yeah, I have a sister who's really good at art that she's the same way, that she just always has a sketchbook with her and is always drawing. 
and I think that really is the is the trick to it is that yeah you just keep doing it you'll get out a lot of bad stuff but eventually you'll get to the good stuff yeah yeah I mean you'll look at a bunch of the games I've illustrated you know years ago and I'm sure you'll see a definite improvement over time and I've seen people say that as well yeah, but uh, what tools do you use? You oh, didn't answer that part of the Oh, that's question. right. So I, I'm actually, I only use uh, Photoshop now. Totally. That's like all I use. All you use. Wow. Yeah, I went from sketching for years and watercolor, and then I moved to digital. And it was a very, it was kind of a rough transition, honestly. And uh, now I use a, a Wacom tablet and Photoshop, and I, I start, I sketch everything from from the get-go I used to sketch by hand and then scan it in and then draw and then use that as a guide but now I actually just paint um, I just I do the sketch on the computer and do all the painting with Photoshop nice okay then Andrew Wilson asks any plans for an app alternative for above and below paragraphs alternate discussion on BG companion and required apps yeah, well, this is a, a yeah. Good I feel question. like <laughs> this is probably one that I should answer since I'm kind of the one who has some experience in like making computer games and such. So I would probably be the one who would make an app like that. My answer to that is that I'd probably be more interested in making an actual like sort of its own standalone game related to Above and Below or uh, Near and Far rather than just an app for the paragraphs because I'm not entirely sure how much that would really add to it because it's just an alternative way of reading it when you could just read it in the book so I don't know if you think that an app version of just the encounter book would be really useful to you maybe tweet at me and change my mind <laughs> well I actually have had this question quite a few times and I, I sort of agree with you like there's not really a, a bonus to that because you've got the book right there, you know, just use it. There are a couple things that you could get out of it. Like, for example, if you wanted to play a single player, you could make it so the app didn't show you the rewards. That's a good point. And you could play through that. I've had people say that to me. And also, it, it, could, it could pick randomly for you so you wouldn't have to roll on the cards. It could just be a, a random thing. Plus, you could add paragraphs all the time. Having said all that, there are no plans to make an app yeah. Um, I, I, I actually am sort of against app board game conglomerations. I feel like the point of the board game is that it's all paper and you can play it when like the power is down. Um, I used to live in, Port in uh, the Dominican Republic and half the day there they have they turn off the power because nobody pays the power bill. So in response, like the power company, they just... They just flipped the switch for about mm. half a day. And when I lived there, I had Puerto Rico. And we could play that any time of the day. It would be like 10 o'clock at night. It would be super hot. And there would be no power. And we'd just light the candles and pull that game out and play it. So there's something about like the, I don't know if it's like, like the romantic side of it for me. But like, <laughs> I don't know if you can call like board games romantic. But uh, that's that's uh, that's sort of my my idea. Plus, I never want like... I never want a game to become outdated when this when the hardware or the software becomes outdated like in 20 years when no one can get you know when the app is like non-existent etc etc yeah just do multiple updates because technology is always changing whereas like a board game just is just a board game right right 
I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? I don't know. I'm kind of with you, like, the romanticism of, like, having a board game compared to... Because when you're actually going into, like, to the app or, like, the, the video game side of a board game, it becomes more video game and less of a an experience. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I could see it more for a board game where the app was more heavily integrated. Like, if that was an essential part of the experience, then maybe that's a little gimmicky and it could become outdated in the future, but at least it's a sort of a new fun and exciting experience where that's like a really important part of it but yeah. if it's just like we're tacking an app onto a game like it's hard for me to see yeah like a point in that like what's it really adding to it yeah i feel like it at the trade shows it seems like a lot of people ask for it <clears throat> and i think it's probably just because we all like playing it mm -hmm. and we're all used to convenience so we're thinking hey wouldn't it be great if Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course it would be great, but since we're, you know, three people, four people, <laughs> yeah. and we've got limited resources, we'll probably just pass on that yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing. That's the other part of it. <clears throat> now, there are some games, speaking of what Breno was saying, that mm -hmm. have used um, an app as an integral part of the game. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the XCOM board game. Yeah. They made it so you absolutely have to use the app. And in fact, much of the, you know, it seems like a lot of the mechanics and stuff are hidden in that app and it sort of runs it for you. So it's a lot more like a video game, but you've got physical components. Yeah. So. Which reminds me of Space Alert. Oh, Even yeah. Even having yeah, yeah. to Space use a CD He's, and plug yeah. in a CD player. Like, it was a little, it was a little weird. Like, I go back to what you're saying about board games being romantic. Like, if you can just take out the box and play it. It's so simple, it's so almost old-fashioned in certain ways where you can just, it's just tactile. And yeah. that one extra step of getting out the CD player was like, oh, this is odd. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like that maybe, I don't know, this is just me theorizing. Maybe that hurt that game's long-term... Staying power? Yeah, it, maybe it hurt its staying power because, you know, I don't see people playing it anymore. I never see people playing it at cons. And it's maybe because it's it's like too much trouble. Like to mm -hmm. at first it seems really exciting, but then when you have the choice, you know you don't have that CD player, and you don't want to download the tracks because it's like an extra step. So I don't know. It's too much work. Ah, uh, too much work. Uh, Mark Brewer asks, "What's your favorite game that you've designed?" My favorite game is always the current game I'm working on. <laughs> such a politician. That's, uh, a, that's a good attitude to I have. I know, it's true. I, I'd ha I would have to say City of Iron is still my favorite, but Near and Far may be a contender. I'm, most, I'm actually most proud of Near and Far. It's not out yet, but... I think that, that touches on why your latest game is always your favorite, because you still take so much pride in perfecting the craft, and every time you make a new game, you feel so much accomplishment saying, wow, look at the strides I've made in design. Look at the strides I've made in, in concept. And it just feels that much more fulfilling to say, wow, we've come a long way. And this is even better. This one is even better than the last one. And it just feels cool yeah. to have that new and game. I feel, I feel like that's a good attitude to have as a creator of anything. Like you should always be trying to make a better thing than the thing you made before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's safe to say as a creator, it's just like a continual creation rather than just like one project finish, one project finish? Like you're just kind of like carrying bits and pieces of like every game that you've created to the next board game. Yeah. I mean, every time, 
we learn something every time and people will notice also that i i i like certain mechanics and they like carry <laughs> forward and then i get bored of them so i move on to new mechanics but those last a couple of games <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay james o butler asks uh, can you tell us anything about that picture of the game called Haven by Siegert you tweeted many months ago? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Haven is a game designed by Alf Siegert, and I've done some development work on it, and we're super excited to publish it. It'll be the game we do after Near and Far. It's a it's a two-player... I guess you guys, you, you guys haven't played it yet, right? No, no. I haven't. It's a, it's a little different. I, I'm excited to do it because it's a... I think it's our only two-player... Yeah. We haven't done a two-player only game. Yeah, only yeah, it's our only exclusively two-player game, and, and it's really neck and neck, and a little bit, just slightly more competitive than than yeah. some of our other games. Alf and Natasha, I know, have worked a lot on it, and you know, they're another married board game design couple. I'm sure yeah. there are some heated games there, but yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it's a really fun play, and I really like the theme and how it's developed. It's it's lush, I think. Yeah. So the theme, just in a nutshell, is one player is the forest, this mystical forest, and one player is this sort of this mechanical city. And this the city wants to take over this, the forest and, and uh, you know, harvest it for its resources. Mm -hmm. So you as the player, you've got to, you know, you're trying to take over the forest or you're trying to fight back and defend your forest. And uh, it's a two-player game. Um, there's some card play in it. There's a lot of, there's some resource management in it and some area control. So it's sort of a tug-of-war game. We'll have more info on that soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Okay, it's time for Game Development Tip of the Week. You and have then, to sing it? Or no, are you insert it. it? No, I'll, okay. just, I'll just go like... <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Let's hear it. And I just... <laughs> it's the tip, tip, tip of the week. Woo! <laughs> I'll just put the piano part right there. <laughs> Stick it in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, this is a... This actually comes from a question that another game design designer asked on Twitter. TC Petty 3 he asked... Should a game designer publicly respond to a negative review privately? And when I saw this, I had to, you know, put my two cents in here. And the answer is no, you should not. <laughs> I see this all the Don't. time. And I think, I, and in saying this, I know I'm going to offend a couple of people, but I really don't think that you should say anything. Now, privately, I would say that's okay, especially if they got maybe a pretty big rule wrong. Um, it might be a good idea to email them and say, hey, I saw your review and you didn't like the game. You got this rule wrong and <laughs> it probably would change a lot. Now, let's say they only got a couple things, like a couple minor things wrong. I don't think your comment's going to change their mind. Also, I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you should respond. And I think it's almost even kind of weirder to do it privately. Like, as a reviewer, if you got an email from someone who you wrote a negative review of, I guess maybe if they got a rule wrong, that might be something to correct them on. But if it's just a negative review and you're like, I can't believe you didn't like my game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Don't touch it, man. You know, you got to let these things just kind of happen how they're happening and let people read through it. Because if you get in there... You're not going to do anybody any good by putting your two cents in about how you feel about your game. They know how you feel about your game. You published it. 
But, yeah. you know, you got to just let people use their brains and say, hey, what do I think of this review? What do I think of this reviewer? And a lot of people listen to reviews to glean info rather than the opinion of the reviewer. They want to see what kind of game it is. They want to see if it seems like their style. Like, there are a yeah. lot of movies that I'm like this about where if I see a review, it doesn't matter if someone's trashing it or praising it. I can tell what kind of movie it is, and I know whether yeah, I want to yeah. see it. Yeah. And, like, you got to keep in mind that most <laughs> reviewers aren't publishing reviews to try to pick a fight with a designer. Like, yeah. yeah, it's not a it's not a personal thing. They don't want to argue with you about it. They want to let the people who read their reviews know how they felt about the game. And they've got critical integrity to maintain. They're not going to pull their punches just because your feelings get hurt. So yeah. Just let them, you know, let them go and, and let your emotions relax. <laughs> Everything's fine and your game yeah. will still stand on its own two feet no matter what. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the dif most difficult things of being a creator is putting your work out there and letting it speak for itself and then not going in and defending it, especially in the current it's internet like age. Child. It's really hard. No, it's really hard. As a, as a person who's designed many games and seen lots Go out of the world to make me money. Yeah, right? Boy. <laughs> no, like yeah. seeing, seeing a negative review can seriously ruin my day and in some cases my month i mean <laughs> seeing a bad review i mean it, it's really hard to distance yourself from your creation but i think it's gonna seem stronger if you don't rush in there and and say anything and even i've even seen people respond by saying basically you know thanks for your review and i also think that's unnecessary like i think a reviewer and the creator should be as distanced as possible. Yeah, like that's that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier and that the reviewer is not trying to have a conversation with you, the creator. Like oh. they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> they want yeah. to talk to the other people who might be interested in your game. So yeah. I, th I think if you respond to it at all, you're kind of making it weird. But yeah. I mean, I, can you, I, see, it would seem weird to me if like um, a famous movie reviewer wrote some, you know, scathing review of a movie and then the director you know, left some comments like in the yeah, exactly. <laughs> like defending his exactly. movie. I, I don't know. I I can play yeah. devil's advocate and think you should. Like I think you should just really just get like knee deep into like an argument with whoever <laughs> well, your game that because happens. it's your game. It's you think it's awesome, and they're just obviously wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now I've I after I've I've said all that, there was one time a reviewer actually asked for my response on something oh they wanted to know my opinion about something so i in that case i did write a, a comment and so yeah. i've broken my own rule if they do ask <laughs> you directly then i guess you can respond but it's like in, that in the case, video i that... feel like then the reviewer is making it weird by talking to you directly well and Brenna's review review rule <laughs> don't acknowledge one. each other don't make it weird <laughs> don't make it weird <laughs> don't make it weird <laughs> I mean, and, and it's interesting because the board game community is different. It's so tight knit. Like everyone knows each other. You know, yeah, I know all these sense. reviewers. They know me. We're we're like friends. So it's it's a little harder to distance. So it's a little other. less weird. But <laughs> I guess. yeah. So there you go. So defend your work. That's that's what Ryan's saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. Fight for its honor. Yeah. Yes, honor. Ultimate dishonor. <laughs> dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> That's a great one. 
Well, um, does anybody have anything else before we sign off? Nope. Thanks Hi. for... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, I was just... I'll let you do it. We'll, we'll edit this out. We'll keep it in. You know, we usually keep this stuff in anyways. Whatever. It's fun. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. Be sure to visit our Twitter, at Red Raven Game, and our website, redravengames.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. If you want to come yell at me because you think apps are great, uh, my Twitter is at Brenna underscore Asplund. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, or various other podcasting websites that they have out there. You might find it on some weird random one in the dark corners. It can be edited out nice. But with that said, I think we're done. Have a good week. <laughs> Keep playing games. See ya. Yeah, See you bye. Let's do it. So, all right, clap your hands and start. <laughs>